probably one of the most often quoted men of our time has to be a 19th century American poet and lecturer. His name is Ralph Waldo Emerson. None of us have likely made it this far in our lives without hearing one of his quotes in some form or another. And I wouldn't recommend him as a thinker or a theologian. His theology and his philosophy were totally off the rails. But what I can say, though, is that the man had a way of, with words that few others have matched. And he becomes kind of a, an anti-example for us in what we're going to read today. But one of his quotes fits with what we're saying this morning. He says, Don't talk. What you are thunders so loudly above what you say that I cannot hear you. One of Emerson's big issues was his belief in what's called transcendentalism. And if you don't know off the top of your head what that is, I don't blame you. I had to do some reading as well. But he believed in the inherent goodness and purity of the human race of people and nature, and that society and its institutions have corrupted the purity of the individual, and people are truly at their best when self-reliant and independent of such issues of other institutions barging in. We, on the other hand, trust the direction of Scripture which teaches us that these institutions in our lives have been set in place by God, particularly the family, the church, and governments. That they're gifts of God designed to order the steps of His people and order our creation that we live in. And one of the issues, if you really start thinking about what Emerson believes, is that if mankind is essentially and naturally good, if we are normally bent towards purity and rightness, I mean, it makes sense that we wouldn't need these kinds of institutions. Why would we need governments? Why would we need parents to teach us what is right? Why would we need churches if we naturally just pursue that on our own? Why do I need someone to hold me accountable or give me direction for my actions if I'm naturally inclined towards goodness? So my question for Emerson, if viewers here, is if we're at our best when we're most self-reliant, most independent, why does what a person does, why, why does it matter? Ignore what everyone else is doing and pursue your own aims because if you just completely shut everything else out and pursue what, what you naturally bend towards, you are going to be pursuing the right thing. Obviously, if we pursue that line of logic, we realize that it, it doesn't work too well. We've all heard the example of the fact that we don't have to teach toddlers to say mine and to steal things from their siblings. But God has given us these institutions, family and the church and governments, to help us in the way that we organize our society. And our scriptural understanding is that humanity was created to live and to exist not as a series of individual islands, each man and each woman unto themselves, but created to live in community. 
which makes it interesting that Emerson's quote becomes a whole lot more meaningful when it's dependent on community. Don't simply talk. Don't simply tell people what you believe. But live in such a way that whether you say something or not, it becomes clear that what you believe shapes how you live. I ask that you'd come with me in prayer, and then we will dive into our passage in Hebrews 13, and we'll be starting in verse 7 if you wanted to get your thumb in there. Let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have designed us from the very molecules and atoms that we are made up of, from the breath in our lungs to the way our bodies work, from the communities that you have designed us to live in and the institutions that span across all of mankind, you have designed us and designed us this way for a purpose. And Lord, mankind is good at perverting your good designs. We are good at ignoring the right way you have tried to order us through family or government or church. But Lord, we ask that through what you have given us in your word, that you would help to bring our, even our institutions back into order. That you would bring our families back into order. That you would bring our churches back into order. That you would bring even our governments and our nations back into order. As we learn what it means to follow you and to follow you according to your word and not according to man's desire. And Lord, we pray for those who are in leadership in your church right now. And we thank you for those who have been in leadership of your church in decades and centuries and millennia past. You have given us so many good examples to look towards. And we pray that you would help those who are still in leadership to continue to provide such examples for those who come after us. So, Lord, we commit this in the preaching of your word to you, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us by it. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read from Hebrews 13. We're going to read verses 7 and 8, and then we're going to scan down a little bit to verse 17 as well. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And down to verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. One of the things that I've always appreciated about this church is the collective memory that we have going for us. We may not have hundreds of years under our belt as Elk Point Baptist Church, but in our 41 years and counting, we have members who have been here since the very beginning. We have a strong sense of history that we be, have begun to pull from, and Perhaps a part of that, and particularly these days, is 
Um, we've had this reminder in Pastor Jim's retirement. He was 32 years as our senior pastor, and we had the opportunity to rehash and see some of the blessings and the way that God had moved in that period of time. I don't know how many of you spend your time and days on the internet just looking at our church website. I'm going to go ahead and guess not many of you spend a ton of time on our church website. But if you were to go there and you were to click on the About heading and follow down to the History link, you'll find a list of the previous pastoral staff of the church. And you'll also find a document entitled Church History. It was largely penned by a church matriarch of ours, Margaret Modine, who went to be home with the Lord last summer. And Tony has also helped to update it as necessary. And as I was reading it, I started to go, maybe it's time for another revision to include some of the current chapter that we're a part of. I mention all this because our passage starts with an exhortation. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. That word remember can sometimes mean call to mind or keep in mind. And although our passage has some sense of this, the primary thrust is not just to keep myself and the current elders in mind. The first thrust in this part of the passage is to remember those leaders who have gone before, who have completed their ministry at that congregation. There were questions in the early stages as we were looking at a pastoral transition, whether Jim would stay on here or whether he would take a hiatus to allow some time for the congregation to make the switch from Pastor Jim to Pastor Josh. And any of us who have spent much time in the church will likely have heard some horror stories of what can happen if the old pastor sticks around and just starts causing problems and whatever else. So there's a lot of questions and conversation going on about that. But in my mind, it was never a question whether I wanted Jim to stay on with us or to take a break. I had the incredible benefit of five years under his mentorship, and I knew that Jim would very intentionally support my ministry, but not just my ministry, but that of the entire elders council of the church, and even redirect those that might come to him back to us. And with all these conversations going on around this, I just cannot imagine the benefits that we as a church would have missed out on not having our old leader continuing among us, and I certainly would have missed out on their companionship. Jim also had a great example of effective pastoral transition between himself and John McGregor those few decades ago. John continued on in Elk Point for quite a while at our church and even as an elder in the church before God moved him along. All that said, I think our church has done a very good job of remembering our leaders. It's never been an out-with-the-old-in-with-the-new mentality. Instead, it's been this kind of faithful progression. And I think part of that might just be 
small town Alberta. Small towns have great memories, and sometimes that's a terrible thing, never letting anything go. And sometimes that's a great thing, that we remember the impact and effect of those who have ministered among us. In large cities, it's, well, he's gone on to the next one. But I encourage you, we have John and Jim, and we even have many past elders such as Niels and Cliff Quist and Iobami and Rick and others who have been engaged in the ministry here at Elk Point Baptist Church. I encourage you to remember them. They may not be serving in the roles that they once did. They may not be acting in the same roles. But insofar as they imitate Christ, continue to consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The Apostle Paul was big on this idea of modeling and imitation as a means of training and equipping the church. He encouraged it half a dozen different times in his five letters in the New Testament. And in his writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. One of the benefits of this imitation of church leaders who have completed their season of ministry to and in the church is that we're able to see kind of the big picture. I'm only seven months or so into my time as senior pastor here at this church. It's hard to believe that at the end of this month, it'll be six years that I've been able to be here in Elk Point. But that's a relatively small sample size when compared to the decades of history that we have a chance to look on in the lives of the men who have gone before me in ministry here. So we can take a look at their completed ministry, the whole picture, and we consider the outcome of their way of life. We're not just looking at their church-specific activities. Okay, we look at Okay, this is how they preached, and this is how they organized potlucks. But we look at their lives kind of holistically and imitate their faith. I've always kind of shuddered at that call of Paul, imitate me, because that is putting a huge weight on what Paul has to be if he's telling the church to imitate him. And that's why church elders are held to the standard that they are as found in Scripture, particularly in 1 Timothy and Titus. They are to live lives that are above reproach specifically because they and their lives are to be examples that should be imitated. These men are not perfect. I am not perfect. Neither John nor Jim as previous pastors were perfect. But their lives are to be imitable 
as we imperfectly but faithfully follow Christ and his perfect example. In verse 8 of our passage, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Looking at that at first, I wasn't quite sure where to place that or where it fit. But as I was looking at 1 Corinthians and what Paul was saying about imitate me, in chapter 11, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. While the life examples of church leaders should regularly be imitable, it is always with an eye to the work of Christ. This verse that we put up here, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, is up there because that is the thrust of the entire book of Hebrews. And we are not to set up pastor so-and-so as the one that we are looking to. We look to the examples of our past leaders and even our current leaders insofar as they imitate Christ. Just like our worship team stands up here on Sundays and leads us in worship, they lead us in worship turning our eyes towards God. We're not here watching them. Like we, if we were sitting in a concert, we're sitting there and listening to the person who's giving the concert. Whatever your taste in music is, you're sitting there and watching the person and appreciating their work and what they've done. But our worship team, it's not a concert. They are here to turn our eyes towards Jesus. And it's the same thing with our church leaders, our elders, and our pastors. They are here to be imitated, turning our eyes towards Jesus. One of the great examples that, or great advantages of the big picture view that we get as we look on retired and even going back further, even long dead church leaders and church fathers, we can see a pattern of consistency. Had their lives throughout their ministry matched up and grown into the call of Christ likeness. Like we said, our church leaders, no man is perfect. No man is going to follow Jesus perfect. There are going to be things about my life that I look at and go, well, I hope the people don't imitate that. But I am to grow in my likeness of Christ and grow in my faithfulness to Christ so that more and more the church might be able to imitate myself or any of the other elders of this church. But if we're looking for true consistency, ultimately the best example is to go to the source. Jesus never changes. Pastors, elders, deacon, other church leaders, even fathers within their family fit in this example sometimes. And all of these leaders experience the same spiritual highs and lows of any one of us going through the Christian life. But Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. 
I want people to be able to look to the leaders of Elk Point Baptist Church and to be able to look at them and say, I want to follow Christ like that. But ultimately, I want them to look past us to Jesus and go, I want to follow God the way that Jesus followed the commands of his Father. Hebrews 1.3 told us that the Son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. James 1.17, we're told of the Father, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. There is no shadow or change in the Father. And Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father's nature. There is no shadow or change in Jesus. No matter how good and righteous of a pastor or elder or church leader God gives you, there still falls the requirement to consider the outcome of their way of life. Anybody who looks at any man besides Christ and says, I'm going to live exactly like that, is missing something. I don't care who it is. I don't care who your favorite preacher is. I'm going to step on your toes and say they are not as good as you think they are because none of us are perfect. And we need to consider the outcome of their way of life and to measure their life and their example against the perfect example that we find in Christ, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. Learning to call back to Emerson's quote, don't talk. What you are thunders so loudly above what you say that I cannot hear you. I hope that each of you will agree that that concept is sound, that particularly for those who are called to lead, their actions must speak even louder than the words that come out of their mouth. If I'm up here preaching to you and telling you to do something, and then you look at my life and I'm doing completely the opposite, there's no point in me being up here. But I also hope that, unlike Emerson, that you will see that this is not simply for the good of self that this example is not having its eyes set on human perfection, attaining our innate potential as pure human beings, but is forever fixed upon Christ and tempered by his example. It is done for the glory of God and for the good of his church. Verse 17 kind of gives part two of what we're looking at this morning talking about church leadership. And Lord willing, next week we'll come back to the in-between instructions between these two passages and look at verses 9 to 16. But I think it's important that we get the rest of this picture in this conversation about church leadership because the two pieces do fit quite tightly together. I love that the Bible is so rife with examples of the church. The example of family has always been one of my favorites, and obviously coming out of our most recent passage in Hebrews 13, it, it fits well. 
Last week, we talked about the brotherly love that is to be defining of the family of faith. And this morning, the family metaphor becomes useful again. Before we get there, though, in the shepherding metaphor, the elders, including the pastor, are compared to shepherds. In the family metaphor, Paul calls himself a spiritual parent. And in the church, parenting becomes a great facsimile. I've never understood why our society tends to downplay the importance and difficulty of being a parent. Oftentimes we hear this most when you get someone talking about people who are just parents, specifically moms who don't work outside of their home. They are homemakers and providers for their family. They're just stay-at-home moms. They're just a homemaker. But anyone who has ever had a hand in raising a child and managing a home, you understand that there is no more involved and demanding task than the 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365-day-a-year job of being a parent. There are no days off. Children see and hear everything and then imitate whatever they see and hear, usually at the most inconvenient of times. At a parent's best and at their worst, they're still parents. There's no handing your kids off. Even if you hand your kids off to a babysitter, you can't say, well, it was the babysitter's fault. Ultimately, the buck stops with you. In the church, it's often similar. There's no day when a church leader can or should take off the hat of church leadership and say, well, for today, I'm just me. I'm going to take off and do my own thing today. Being a leader in the congregation becomes a part of the very fabric of your existence. And that's a good thing because from an example point of view, as a Christian, whether in the world or in the church, you can never hang up your Jesus hat. When I walk around Elk Point, people know that I'm a pastor and expect me to act a certain way. And that is a good thing. And from the passage that we looked at, it's pretty clear that there's this great weight and a solemnness to taking on this mantle of church leadership in the church of God. That's part of why James says in 3.1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. The way that our kind of two pieces of the passage this morning fit together is that as a church, you have every biblical right to expect much of your leaders. You should expect much of those who would be called elders and pastors within this church. Like I said, even from parenting side of things, this fits in here. A family has every right to expect much of the father who is meant to be the spiritual leader of their home. Children should be able to expect certain standards of care from their parents. Oftentimes we don't think of it strictly in these terms, but when it's lunchtime, there had better be a sandwich on the table 
Children expect it, and if it's not there, time to hurry up. But at the same time, that relationship is two-way. Children are expected straight from the Ten Commandments to honor their father and mother, that their days may be long in the land that the Lord God was giving them. And part of the relationship that the church has to have with its leaders is that while a church should expect much out of their leaders, their leaders are expected to live lives according to the qualifications of Scripture, to be examined and held to account by the congregation. The congregation is then expected to obey their leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over their souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I preach on this knowing that I'm on the same thin ice territory as when a pastor preaches on money, knowing that the church's money pays the pastor's salary. Or when I'm preaching on wives submit to your husbands, I'm the husband. So I come with a great dose of humility and great dose of trepidation almost looking at this. Because I don't like being the one up here saying, okay, this is what is expected. It's not always my favorite place to be. But I am so incredibly thankful for God's word and for the pattern that he's given us that we can preach through and preach the entire counsel of Scripture, even the stuff that is sometimes uncomfortable to preach. And I think part of my, my trepidation on this is how often these concepts of obedience and, sum, and submission have been used to subjugate and even abuse those who are under authority. Too often within the church, churches have set up as little mini dictatorships where you do what the pastor says or what the elders say, or else. So we have a, sometimes a negative tinted view of what it means to live under authority. But we live under authority every day. We are constantly, each and every one on earth, under the authority of God. We all live under someone's authority, whether we're under our parents' authority as children and teenagers, or our boss's authority, or the government's authority. We all live under authority, and we are willing to obey that authority. Particularly as Christians, we're willing to obey that authority as long as it matches up with the truths of Scripture. In our hearts, we know that God has ordained the right use of authority for His glory. The leaders of this church serve at God's pleasure as shepherds for His sheep. And we take seriously the weight and responsibility that attends giving an account before God of the family that He has placed under our care. I also hope that within our church families that we are treating the spiritual leaders in our homes with that same level of respect. 
this idea of authority and obedience within the church was tremendously apparent within the midst of the COVID pandemic and the church's response to it. We had and have people on every side of pretty well every issue, but within the COVID era, it became very apparent. The elders spent hours and days planning and attempting to find a faithful scriptural response, how we could be faithful to God's word in the midst of all of this. And in the vast majority of cases, we had a church family that trusted God and trusted the leaders of this church. They didn't agree. You didn't agree in every case. But trusting in the leadership of this church enough to submit and obey the leaders of the church. And to submit and to obey doesn't mean a unthinking, mechanical obedience. There are many good conversations to be had, disagreements that were voiced, and objections that were stated. But the key is, is that if God has called the elders of this church as leaders in this church, then we as a church trust God to guide and direct the decisions of his elders, all the while checking those decisions against the truths found in Scripture. And in this, we also trust God to handle the leaders who do not lead rightly. That's why we had Dick read earlier from Ezekiel 34. That was an indictment of Israel's leadership. It ended with the Lord by the prophet saying to the shepherds of his people, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding of the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. My job and the job of the elders and leaders within this church is to lead God's people according to his commands as found in Scripture. And I'm happy to say that day to day our elders can say that to keep watch over the souls, being prepared to give an account for those here in this church, we can do it with great joy. I see brothers and sisters who are actively engaged in displaying Phenomenal brotherly love, not just to the flock at large, but also brotherly love towards the leaders of this church. I see brothers and sisters who engage in worship and who serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Things aren't always roses and sunshine. There's definitely going to be instances of disagreement, and we welcome that. To disagree, if we all agree on everything, I'll steal from Dick here. One of his favorite quotes is, if two people agree on everything, one of them is unnecessary. We're not all going to agree on everything, and that's okay. But we have seen this church do an amazing job of following the leadership of the past elders and pastors of this church, and it has continued on into our modern iteration. I know that I can say along with Paul from Philippians 1, I thank God 
in all my remembrance of you. God has started a good work within his church. And I encourage you not to start remembering and imitating and obeying and submitting to your leaders, but to continue to do so. Continue making it a joyful thing that your leaders have such an opportunity to minister to those here in this church. It will always remain a fearful thing, knowing that myself and my brothers on the elders' council will stand before God and give an account of this flock. But it is so much easier to do so, knowing that the men and women that we are accountable for, who are sitting around us here today, have followed the teachings of Scripture, who have heard God's Word and obeyed it. So, not for my joy, not even necessarily for your joy or the joy of other church leaders, But for the glory of God, continue to serve him. Continue to measure the leaders of this church against the qualifications that you find in Scripture. And insofar as they imitate Christ, imitate them. Follow them. And do not hesitate if you see the leadership of this church straying from the commands of Christ to bring it up. Because this church exists for one reason. Not to bring myself or the elders or anyone else in this church glory, but for the glory of God. And as we follow him, he has promised that he will do a good work within us. We have our eyes fixed on Jesus, the one who is both the author the perfecter of our faith. With that, I'll ask if the worship team would come, and then we'll pray. Would you pray with me? Our God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you that ultimately it is you who holds all authority in this universe. That all things report to you. That you are sovereign over all things. And Lord, we pray that we would submit to you. To follow your guidance as set down in Scripture. Lord, we thank you that you've given us institutions in our, in our world, in our human existence to help us to do so. That you have given us families. And we pray that in our families of this church, that particularly the men, the husbands, the leaders of their families would lead their families well. And that their families would find themselves able to submit and obey the husbands and the leaders of that family, because they have submitted to you. Pray for this church, for the elders and the pastor of this church and myself. Lord, I pray that you would help us to follow you, that it would not be a hard thing to imitate one of the leaders of this church, 
knowing that the leaders of this church imitate you in all things. And Lord, give us the humility to admit when we make mistakes and when we are wrong and hold this church accountable by your word. May each member of this church be people who seek and know your word and be able to see if things are going awry for one reason or another. That we might be continually corrected and formed into the likeness of Christ. That anything that is not of Christ would fall by the wayside and be put by the wayside. Lord, may we do all of this for your glory. May we do all of this with our eyes fixed upon your Son, Jesus Christ, who has authored within us a life and a faith that is completely new. We thank you for the new heart that you've given us. And we pray that you would continue to sanctify us and draw us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name.